This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. Well, there's a law that says if I want to get rid of one of you board members. Instead of simply resigning and finally satisfying the people of Fernando County, you decide to resent them. You know what? I might not agree with you. You might not agree with me. However, we're allowed to have different opinions. I'm about the only person probably in this room running down the door to work for you. So thank you for hiring me. Welcome to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. We've all heard a lot about these heated school board meetings happening around the country. But this one stands out. Last week, hundreds of people packed into the Hernando High School Auditorium west of Orlando, Florida. And according to local news reports, the meeting lasted for eight hours, covering everything from book bans to the rights of LGBTQ students. Then the superintendent narrowly survived a no-confidence vote by outspoken board members. Sadly, this agenda also has 33 resignations. Educators leaving our district, possibly leaving teaching entirely after what they've experienced this year. This isn't one isolated incident, and it is deeply worrisome. But even before the latest book bans or the pandemic, teacher turnover was high in America. Over twice as high as it is in the strongest education systems in the world. Places like Finland, Singapore, and Ontario, Canada. Why is that? Today, there are about 4 million teachers in America, and nearly a third say they're thinking about leaving their jobs, according to a 2022 McKinsey survey. Two of these teachers reached out to us separately on the How To Hotline. And so we wanted to bring them on together. To protect their identities, we're not saying where they're from, and one of the teachers, Amy, is using a pseudonym. My name is Sarah. I am a high school English teacher. I've been teaching for about 12 years, 10 years at this particular school. So my name's Amy. I'm a high school English teacher as well. And if you could just say a couple things about why you got into teaching to begin with. What did you love about it? I mean, Amy, you started more recently, so do you want to go? Uh, Sure. So (laughs) I started teaching the year the pandemic happened. And because I'm someone that like very much values education, I wanted to make sure that every single child to the best of my ability was also provided that opportunity because education is a great mobility factor socially, economically. It's something that our country does provide for free and that's not always available in other countries. So I got into education and like my first couple of years, I was seeing that change in students. And it was just very fulfilling, like not financially, no, but very fulfilling just to know you've made a change for somebody and help somebody grow to realize their potential. So what changed, Amy? I'm sure you saw on the news during the pandemic, they were like, teachers are superstars, they're great. (laughs) And then as we transitioned out of the pandemic, the attitude toward teachers shifted to where teachers are not teaching what parents want, they're teaching what they want or trying to change kids against their parents. And it was very adversarial. What Amy's talking about, this shift in attitudes towards teachers, has made life a lot harder. 
16 states have actually passed laws that are essentially education gag orders, restricting what teachers can and can't say in the classroom. This has been driven by politicians and activist parents, mostly on the right, who want to control discussion of things like race or sexuality. But the truth is, teachers often have other things to worry about. Because there's such a bad nationwide shortage, many of us are in the position where we're teaching a classroom that's three times the size it should be, Mm. and they're still expecting this high level of education and us to give emotionally and be empathetic to the highest degree. And I'm like, I'm more than willing to do that, but I cannot continue to pour from an empty cup. So today is the first in a two-part series on teaching. We're going to start with the challenges teachers are facing and how to fix them. That might sound idealistic, but I can tell you from experience that it can be done. It has been done all over the world. A while back, I wrote a book called The Smartest Kids in the World, in which I got to spend time in countries that have dramatically improved their schools. And they all started by changing how they treat teachers. None of this, of course, is going to happen quickly. In some places, it won't happen at all. So in the meantime, what if you just can't wait? Next week, how to leave teaching, or really any labor of love, without feeling like you're selling your soul. To help us navigate all of this, we're going to be joined by Daphne Gomez, the CEO and founder of Teacher Career Coach. It's very hard for a teacher to do something that knows that it could negatively impact their colleagues who they love or their students that they love. And I think it's just it shows how big everyone's heart is, is that this is like the last choice for them Mm. because Mm. they've tried and exhausted every other option. Having talked to thousands of teachers about why they want to leave, she understands better than just about anyone what it would take to help them stay. So take a seat, class is in session. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com podcast, or find it wherever you listen. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Is there an example that comes to mind of how this parent-teacher tension uh, manifested itself in your own classroom or school? I'm sure you've heard this a lot, Sarah, is 
I, I turned in the assignment. Why didn't I get an A? <laughs> and I have to sit with the student and the parent. I'm like, sure, here is, here is the assignment. Let's walk through what you actually did and what the assignment required. And in many cases, I'm like, hey, you can have a second chance, come to tutoring, or we can like do an alternative assignment for you. And the parent's like, no, they turned it in. It should be an A. And I'm like, English class is not about just turning in papers. No. It's about analyzing the the text. It's about understanding character development. And that concept seems to just be lost. It's just like, it should just be, I turn in a paper to you and it's an A. As long as I turn it in on time, have a great day. Mm, okay. This is really interesting because I guess I was imagining, you know, what I'm seeing on the news, right? Where people are yelling at you about books you have in the classroom. And it sounds like another way that this manifests itself is um, just a, a deep distrust and lack of respect with the workaday business of, of educating. So second guessing the grades or um, the way you're running the classroom. Is that, am I getting that right? Yes. And also too, um, I'm very big on communication and like, I'm very open if a parent is like, let's meet, I have a question. However, a lot of parents weren't expressing that they were upset mm. until an incident happened where it was expressed in a very inappropriate manner. And I was very disheartened by the fact that this parent had been dissatisfied for so long. Mm. My supervisor's like, you know, if this parent had just written an email, we could have had a meeting well ahead of time mm -hmm. um, to address these concerns. But because I'm not being communicated to that there is a concern, I can't help you. Yeah. 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 And so so this, this stress and frustration and mis and confusion gets bottled up and then it explodes. And I think that we've seen that on airplanes, in supermarkets, in doctors' offices, in yep. a million ways uh, yep. in the past few years. And so I'm sorry to hear that that has happened to you as well. Um thank you for for sharing that, Amy. Um Sarah, what could you go back in time and tell us a little bit about why you got into teaching and one thing that you have loved about it? Yeah, I got into teaching because I love to talk about books. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> that, I mean, oh gosh. I had been in local news reporting. I wrote for a newspaper. This was around the time that newspapers were just getting like gutted left and right. I was at a point where I was like, gosh, I really don't want to be like worrying about my job all the time. Um, so I started nosing around things to do. My mom was a teacher. Um, and you know, she was like born to be a teacher and I saw how fulfilling she found her job. And I, you know, just started thinking about the English teachers that I had had in high school and how I, they just made me feel so like smart and empowered. And we got to talk about sophisticated things. And like when I got you know, a, wow, that's beautiful, like, comment on a paper. It just, like, I would walk around with that for a week. I wanted to be able to share that with other people. I wanted to, it sounds, like, so hokey, but make a positive impact on my community um, and the world. Yeah. yeah, try to give to to students what I myself had received as a student. That makes perfect sense. So it was, like, the stability of the job relatively plus the sense of knowing that you were doing something important, something that could matter to students the same way it would matter 
to you. Yeah. Is that right? I, I remember right before I was, I was going to start my first teaching job. I was, I was at a wedding and I said like, yeah, I'm going to be a teacher. And I just think being a teacher is just like so important and such an essential job. And, uh, I was thinking about that the other day and how it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's true, but, um, it, it's different now. Okay, let's talk about that. What's changed? What hasn't for changed you? with me? Um, <laughs> well, I think I want to make more money. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'm I'm 12 years in, and Amy, I heard what you were saying about the parents second guessing you, and I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, that's exactly where I was mm -hmm. um, early in my career. Mm -hmm. But now I've been around long enough, um, and a lot of these things are way easier. Um, you just get some name recognition and people don't question you as much. However, I'm doing the same thing every year. And obviously there's some variation, um, but you know, there, there have been points of my life in teaching where I'm reading Macbeth out loud five times a day and I like tried to calculate mm -hmm. it. Yes. And I'm like, how many times, you know, as you know, that, tree's gonna go towards high Dunsinane castle or whatever um and I just like can't imagine doing this for another 30 years <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like I just think about it and I get so sad and I'm also really tired too um I have mm. to wake up at 5 30 in the morning and that sounds very basic but it actually is a big quality yes. of life issue yes Okay, now we're starting to get a sense of the many layers of challenges in the teaching profession. There's this deep lack of trust, which predates the pandemic, but has gotten worse. Meanwhile, more than half of teachers say the low salaries are driving them out the door, and even more cite the unmanageable workload. All fair points. But here's the twist. Almost the same proportion of public school teachers say they want to stay in the profession for the exact same reasons. Because the pay is good and the workload is manageable. What is going on here? Well, part of the fundamental problem with education in our country is that it is so very, very local. Each district and state has its own way of doing things. So in some places like Washington, D.C., where I live, new teachers can make six figures if they're good at what they do. In other places, they can't make enough to pay their rent. It's all over the map, literally. And the current political polarization is making things worse, just about everywhere, to different degrees. Oh my God, this is like such an airing of grievances now. But I, so, you know, the parents are at the Board of Education meetings yelling and screaming. Um, we have been spared of some of that, but, but not all. I've had my name put on Facebook groups saying that I'm indoctrinating students. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. When like, I'm like, I cannot get these kids to read the book. Um, like, let's start there. <laughs> it's not as wild as it has been, but you know, that stuff is not that far away. Um, it doesn't feel good. No. And, mm -hmm. you know, just because I feel pretty like chill and safe now, I can't be foolish and think that it's going to be that way forever. This is where education is a little different than other jobs. People who don't know anything about the profession can wield a lot of influence over it and make a teacher's life pretty miserable, as our expert Daphne Gomez remembers from her own years in the classroom. 
Yeah. Um, I just like both of them went into teaching because I wanted to do something that positively impacted people. And I really liked education myself. And so I wanted to like relay that love of education for students. I taught fifth grade. um, And the first two years that I was teaching, I felt like I was drowning the entire time. I didn't really feel like I was doing well. Like there was just constantly so much to do. And I really never felt like I like had found my footing. Daphne's touching on one of the biggest and most fixable reasons for teacher burnout. Most teacher training colleges in America do a poor job of preparing teachers for a real-life classroom with real kids. They spend way too much time on theory and not nearly enough on the practical skills of classroom management. Plus, teachers in training don't get anywhere close to enough time being coached by strong veteran educators in most American districts. This problem is especially egregious in a lot of low-income schools, but super affluent schools bring their own set of baggage, as Daphne learned the hard way. But everyone really told me like, oh, wait, you have to take five years and then you find your footing in this career. Mm. And I was planning on moving to a new school district anyway. And so I thought this next school district in a different city, this is going to be a good fit for me. And it's going to help, you know, this change in environment might be all that I need. And then this is going to be the year that really supports my passion for this career choice. And that year broke me. I came in and was given the gifted and talented education um, students in a really uh, wealthy neighborhood in Los Angeles. So I had like student actors and that came with the challenges of right off the bat, a group of parents that were very high up in the PTA or donated a lot of money to the school said, she's too young She's not qualified to teach my students. And they made my life kind of miserable and I didn't feel supported. And by the end of the school year, I was bawling on the way to work and no one could really pinpoint what it was that I was doing wrong. Hmm. Everyone that came in that I just said, hey, am I doing okay? I'm just really, you know, I need support. I need someone to scaffold. I'm willing to learn, but I don't really know what's happening. Hmm. They said, you're doing a wonderful job. You're a really great teacher. But by the end of that school year, I found myself with, you know, going to the doctor on multiple occasions. I was in my early 30s and they were just saying over and over, this is stress related. This is stress related. Like you are under a lot of stress and your body's kind of freaking out. So I just realized I had to find something else at least for a year because I could not go. Like it wasn't going to be me going to a different school or a different district. I wasn't going to be what was best for the kids. And then that's the year that I found a new role outside of the classroom. And I realized I was just so much happier in that new role Hmm. that that was the path. And I don't regret my years that I spent in the classroom because it's shaped how I'm able to work in other companies and what I'm able to do. And I did spend three really good years with students that I actually loved. Like I do Hmm. feel like the students were the hardest parts for me to leave personally. But it was not the right choice for me for a forever career. It was really hard for me to be in that situation. Wow. Okay. So you had like distrust, second guessing, um, wealth, privilege, all these things. Um, And this was way before the pandemic, right? This has been a problem that's been brewing (laughs) underneath the surface for years. I think what people are actually seeing is 
it's worse for teachers right now because there is um, a lot of noise pointing towards teachers and mm-hmm. calling them the problem. And there are people who are egging other people on to make teachers' lives miserable. But also at the same time, teachers are saying, oh, I saw someone else leave and they're happier. Now mm-hmm. I can do it too. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's it's just going to continue to get worse as far as um, as long as people are villainizing teachers and not realizing that teachers are really only putting up with all the rest of it because they truly do love your students. They really do want your students to be successful. And until people kind of sit down and recalibrate and realize like we need to work as a team with these teachers, Mm -hmm. the teachers are going to continue to leave because they do have options now. When you started realizing you can't keep doing this, what was it like to start you know, Googling around and thinking about other options and, and asking people about it. Was it something that you felt like you could talk about? I had a couple of colleagues at the school that I was working at who knew that I was in a toxic work environment. And um, I let them know that I was planning on leaving. And I think that this is really similar to what Sarah said. It was people just kind of pushed back. Like, what else are you going to do? And back then, no one knew anyone who had left for any other career. I know that they had kind hearts and they they didn't mean to say it in this way. But a lot of what I heard was, you can't leave. You're such a good teacher. Like, you have to figure out a way to make this work. Get Students need good teachers and you have to stay. This is a paradox, isn't it? On the one hand, we as a society don't give teachers enough respect. They're often underpaid and almost always undertrained and undersupported. And yet, they're also seen as saints or self-sacrificing heroes who can't ever, ever leave. How do we reconcile that difference and create a sustainable, supportive profession? Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. We're back with Sarah and Amy, two high school English teachers who are looking to leave the profession, and Daphne Gomez, founder and CEO of Teacher Career Coach. You know, we've done other episodes on this show about career transitions, when to quit your job, etc. But leaving teaching seems to be different. You know, it, there seems to be this extra layer of guilt that, <laughs> that you wouldn't get if you were leaving another job. I mean, it's almost like, I don't know, is it like leaving the priesthood? It's like... <laughs> It's like, why do people react this way? Do you have any theories? I think a lot of it is because we are willing to sacrifice or being put in the position where we have to sacrifice our own well-being on the behalf of other people. Like, that is the nature of this job. And we're okay with that to some degree because we love students and we're passionate about learning. And this choice is one of those very hard times in your life where you know that you're making a decision that actually could negatively impact someone else. I think a lot of teachers go through this like series of almost like grieving as well, Mm -hmm. because this isn't a choice that many, even though we have two teachers here who are saying, hey, I need help. I want to leave. It's still not necessarily their choice. They went into Mm -hmm. this knowing that this was the career that they wanted. And most of the time, teachers feel like they're being pushed out of a career that they at one time wanted due to external factors. So it's like a complicated emotional Mm -hmm. situation or wouldn't be happening. And it's funny because, you know, if I were like, I'm leaving journalism, people would be like, great, fine, what else? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, No one like complains about like Steve and marketing who goes over to like the like sales team. Like, Steve, how could you? Like nobody ever You're so good at marketing. The world needs you to do marketing. (laughs) Also too, like the few times I have heard teachers leave education that didn't retire, it's because they had a sticky situation or there were questionable Mm. circumstances or there was a an investigation and they were offered a a severance package to keep it quiet. It's almost like, oh, because I actually had a conversation with another teacher in another school and they're like, well, I don't want them to think I'm trying to leave education because I did something wrong mm. to a child. Oh gosh. And you know, that's where everybody's mind goes. Amy, I wow. had not thought about that at all, but now I've got like a new thing to be paranoid about <laughs> when I'm sending out my welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> all right. We are going to get into solutions here, but as you all are talking, I'm thinking about there was a teacher that I wrote about years ago here in D.C. where I live uh, who was just an incredible teacher year after year. And then he became a principal um, and he was just a rock star in so many ways. And he called me the other day and told me he had left education. Um, and I, too, had that response. I'm embarrassed to admit I was like, oh, no. You know, it was like and I, I have to say I think now that I look back on it, part of it is it forces me to reckon with the ways in which 
my community does not support excellence in this profession. And that is a lot to swallow. Like it is, I feel ashamed of the fact that he's been driven out of this profession, right? So I think maybe is that part of it too, that when people react that way, it's like they don't want to hear it because they, it's just, you know, we don't want to have to face facts. That resonates so deeply with me because um, I see it in my school. It's the good ones that leave. Um, very true, very true. It's, it's the ones who have um, skills and and vision for themselves that are able to get out. Or the people that don't look for a thank you. They just know what to do and they just do it because it's the mm -hmm. right thing. They don't look mm -hmm. for the thank you or the recognition. So it makes me wonder, can each of you share one thing that schools could do to keep more great teachers engaged and healthy and in their jobs? The thing that I think that is lacking the most as far as professional development goes for teachers is how to do less. There's always like more professional development on this or blah, 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 or this. Teachers need someone to tell them these are the things that are optional. These are the things that are probably not as important if you're drowning right now, if you have 200 freaking students. These are the ways that you can maybe do one or two less assessments this year so that you have a little bit more time. I think districts really need to look at their own processes of how are we training to take stuff off mm. of people's plate mm -hmm. and how are we preparing them to work a little bit. I'm not saying, oh, how do we figure out how to make them hustle more? Like what, what are they doing to assess the overworked teachers and how are they taking things off of their plate? And that might be actually training and saying, hey, look, here's all these different files. You don't even need those anymore. <laughs> like here's the five things yeah. that you need and then the rest of it, we've, we've taken it so you don't have to worry about it anymore. That, is, that sounds really smart. Um, Sarah? I want to say more money because that's, you know, that's it. it. It is just pay us more. People do lots of things for more money. But realistically, the reason that I've stayed in my job for so long is because of supportive administration. Um, when you feel like school leaders and your direct supervisors have your back when they get an angry parent email that, you know, they want to have a meeting and your supervisors like, don't worry about it. I've got this, go back to class. Um, hmm. Just having someone in your corner telling you that you are doing the right thing and keep on going. I think that's so necessary to have a healthy school environment and teachers who are happy to go to work. And that kind of underlines what Daphne said as well, because it sounds like a strong, supportive leader is also someone who's taking things off your plate and helping you prioritize on instruction and what matters. 100%. Yeah. And someone who, you know, is able to say, like, don't do that. That's not necessary. Focus yeah, exactly. on the classroom. <laughs> right, right. And they kind of run blocker for you. So you're not having to deal with every parent's inane. I mean, I have a quick funny story where when my son was in like second grade, my name was very similar to one of his teacher's names. And so I would sometimes get emails from parents thinking they were emailing her. You know, they were just kind of pulling emails off of the list. And oh my God, <laughs> the things that parents were asking of teachers, <laughs> like one I remember was like, the kid had pulled a muscle the day before on the playground and could she help him stretch his muscle 
that day. I kid you not. I couldn't. I mean, it was just shocking. Like all parents should have to read all the emails that all teachers get. And then uh, we would see what kind of nonsense they had to put up with. Um, Amy, what's one thing you would like to change? I'm really big on building relationships. It's not meant to be an adversary. There, There is an ally. And I think we really need to reframe that in how teachers are portrayed in the media. Mm, because true. remember, we are individuals that have made a conscious decision to impact the future of the country yeah. in a very, very important and integral and very, in some cases, very sensitive way. So these individuals were here as an advocate, an ally, a sometimes a parent for students. And that just needs to be resonated throughout the nation hmm. because we're so quick to put teachers on the chopping block and forget all the other times they're there to support the students, not just in academics, but in becoming a, a good human. After writing a book on education, and now, again, after talking to our guests on the show, my biggest takeaway is that we've got to treat teaching as the seriously fierce and intellectually rigorous job that it is. It is like being a CEO or a surgeon, and we need to treat it that way. Other countries have made this shift, so it can be done. And there is some good news on the horizon. Thanks to new federal funding, many states are investing in apprenticeship programs to train new teachers. And these kinds of residency programs, when they're done well, let teachers learn in a real-life school without taking on a ton of college debt. These teachers are then less likely to burn out once they become full-fledged instructors, because they're more prepared and supported, as they should be. Next week, we're going to talk about what to do when it really is time to leave your calling, whether it's teaching or preaching. Daphne's gonna get tactical and help Amy and Sarah retire their tiaras and become heroes in a whole new profession. In the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. Are you a teacher? How are things going? What would really help right now? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. That's also where you can always send any questions of your own. And as always, if you like what you heard today, let other people know. Surely you know a teacher or someone who should be one or someone who should be nicer to teachers. Send them this show. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson, Kevin Bendis, and Jabari Butler produced this episode. Merritt Jacob is our senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. Carvel Wallace is my co-host. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening.